The temple was at the very heart of the Israelite community. It was a geographical focal point of the nation, a bit like the Kremlin here being right in the center of Moscow. And the temple was the heart of the Israelite nation. It was where God said that he would have his dwelling place. That is why the destruction of the temple, first by the Babylonians in 586 BC, and then by the Romans about 600 years later in AD 70, were two of the most traumatic events in the history of the Jewish people. Today, well, this is a picture of the temple area now. Uh, and right in the centre is the Al-Aqsa Mosque. Uh, the only remaining part of Herod's great temple is the Wailing Wall. Um, but this is how it might have looked in Jesus' time, a model of Herod the Great's temple. Well, today, Mary and Joseph bring Jesus to the temple. They bring Jesus to the very heart of the people of Israel. They bring Jesus to the very center. Uh, and what we read in these verses is the temple is operating as the temple should be operating. First of all, it was operating as a place of purification. Mary and Joseph come to present Jesus to God. They are offering their son to God. But actually, what is happening here are two events. The presentation of Jesus and the purification of Mary. The sacrifice offered was the sacrifice that was offered on the 40th day after the birth for the mother who had become ritually unclean because having a baby involves a little bit of blood. <laughs> and interestingly, the passage speaks of the sacrifice being made for both Joseph and Mary. Normally, it would just be for the mother. But I wonder if, under the rather unusual circumstances of Jesus' birth, whether Joseph might have been more immediately involved with the birth than the husband would normally be in that society, and so had also become ritually unclean. But the temple clearly was a place for purification, where sacrifice was offered for those things which ritually defiled a person, such as blood, and for those things also that morally defiled a person. And purification, cleansing was needed because a person could not come into the presence of God while they were unclean. So Mary and Joseph come to the temple for purification. But secondly, and as I said, these two events are sort of compiled together by Luke. They come to the temple as a place of offering. 
I need to first of all find the right page. <laughs> Mary and Joseph recognize that their son is a gift from God, that his life belongs to God, and that he belongs to God. You see, from very early on, the law stated that all firstborn belonged to God. The firstborn of the flock were to be brought to the temple, or to its early equivalent, to be sacrificed. And the firstborn child, the child who opened the womb, was not to be sacrificed. That's quite good news for those of us who are firstborn. <laughs> but was to be redeemed by a five-shekel payment. It reminds us of the very earliest memories of the people. When Abel, do you remember Cain's sacrifice? He offers the first fruits of the harvest. And Abel offers the first of firstborn of his flock. And it was Abel's sacrifice that was pleasing to God. Or, or when Abraham was called to sacrifice his firstborn son, Isaac. He is prepared to do it, even though he has waited 70 or more years for the gift of this child, and he takes his son, Isaac, to Mount Moriah, which, interestingly, is the mount on which the temple is now, with every intention of sacrificing him. But at the very last minute, even as the knife is raised, God again intervenes, and a lamb is slain in place of Isaac, the firstborn. And when Hannah prays for a child, this is about 400, 500 years later, and promises that her firstborn will be dedicated to God, and when Samuel is born, the prophet Samuel, and when he gets to the age when he doesn't need his mother, she keeps to her word and sends him to the boarding school for prophet training at the temple. So here, Joseph and Mary bring their baby to the temple in recognition that he belongs to God. They're offering that which is precious, most precious to them. But they are saying, God, we realize that he belongs to you and we will bring him up for you and not for us. For them, that was very real. Only a few verses, but 12 years later, when they lose Jesus on their way home and have to return to Jerusalem to look for him, they search Jerusalem for three days. And where do they find him? in the temple. And 12-year-old Jesus says to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not realize I had to be in my father's house? I have to say, probably if any of our children had said that to us, they'd probably have got a slap. <laughs> but having said that, they were probably right <laughs> and we would be wrong. Later, we're told about another incident when Mary and Jesus' brothers are seriously worried about Jesus' state of health and they want to take him away. Someone tells Jesus, your mother and brother are outside calling you. 
And Jesus answers and says, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking around those who are around him, he says, here are my mother and my brothers and my sisters. That's quite a hard lesson for Mary to learn. But she has offered him to God. Uh, And then thirdly, the temple is a place of proclamation, of hearing the word of God. In this case, it was both Simeon and Anna, two people who were probably quite old. We know Anna was, she was 84. And Simeon prays that God will now let him die. So we assume that he's getting on a bit. And Simeon speaks of the word using words that are known to some of us as the Nunc Dimittis, which is a staple part of choral evensong and evening prayer. And he proclaims that this child is the salvation God has promised. And this child will bring glory to Israel by being the one who will reveal God's purposes, God's ways, God's heart to the Gentiles, to non-Jews. And Anna speaks of the redemption of Israel. And the temple was meant to be a place of blessing. And Simeon blesses the couple, but it's a strange blessing. Normally we would think of blessing in terms of wishing someone health. Menorgia liati, of prosperity, peace, fulfillment, joy. All those things that are often spoken at weddings and birthdays and other places. But the blessing here is about how Jesus, their son, will impact on their lives and the lives of many. He is destined for the falling and rising of many. I've taken that as meaning that he's destined that some will fall and some will rise. But one commentator, and I like this, says, but maybe they're the same people. You see, the word that is used for rising is the word that is used of the resurrection. And before you can rise, you have to fall. Before we can come to God, we have to recognize our need, our sinfulness, and our brokenness before him. And then he can lift us up. And this child is also destined to divide people. Some will receive him. Some will reject him. The philosopher Nietzsche, he rejected Jesus, Christ, because he said that Christ stood for all that was weak and deserved to die. He said Jesus stood against survival of the fittest. He stood beside the weak and the vulnerable and the broken. Indeed, he said you had to be broken to come to him. And so Nietzsche called Christianity the religion of slave people. I think about the Soviet authorities who called anybody who believed in Jesus mad because they could not cope with a vision of reality that was different to their vision. If you could not see that life was as they proclaimed it and if you believed in an unseen God, then you must be mad. Or I think of one of my sociology tutors at Durham who said that he was not prepared to be a Christian because he was not prepared to let someone else, anyone else, tell him how to live his life. So it's an odd blessing. And even odder went the final verses. He tells them that a sword will pierce Mary's soul. 
maybe speaking of either how Jesus' words would penetrate her heart and convict her, as we've already seen, or of how she would know such grief as she watches him die at the cross, or in all likelihood of both. And the temple here is a place of prayer. Anna is constantly in the temple worshipping with prayer and fasting. When Solomon, about 800 years earlier, had built the first temple, he prays a prayer of dedication. Oh God, he says, this is where you've said that you will live on earth. So please hear and answer the prayer of anyone who turns to this temple and who prays. Fundamentally, the temple was to be a place of prayer. It was to be the meeting point between God and men and women. And Anna, well, I think we can guess what she was praying for and fasting for, because it's what she speaks about. She was longing for that day when God would send his Messiah and would set Israel free so that Israel could be what Israel was meant to be, praising God. And she speaks when she sees Jesus. She speaks of the redemption of Israel. Anna is very blessed. Many people had prayed that prayer in the past, but they had not lived to see their prayer answered. Anna prays that prayer, and on the morning when Mary brings her baby into the temple, she sees the answer. And finally, I notice that the temple is a place of praise. Both Simeon and Anna praise God. They praise him for being faithful to his word. They praise him for answering their prayers, for sending the Messiah. This was how the temple should have operated, as a place of purification, of presentation, of proclamation, of blessing, of prayer and of praise. But we know it did not work like that. Later, when this child grows up and becomes a young man, he visits the temple again. Only this time he goes into it with a whip of cords. And he turns over the temple and he t- over the tables and he drives out the money changers. You have made this place, he says, a, a den of thieves when it should be a place of prayer. And because of that, Jesus has come to bring in a new covenant a new era in our relationship with God. And in this new era, we do not need the temple because, says Jesus, he is the new temple. He is the new center. He is the new heart of our community. He is the new meeting place with God. And so for us, It is when we come to Jesus, whether that's when we come to church or stand in front of an icon of Christ or come forward to receive communion or pick up our Bible and read it or put aside time in the day to pray, it is then that we come to the centre and we come come for purification. We, We come... Uh, as citizens of the new era, we, we don't need to worry about ritual uncleanness. Jesus is, is much more concerned about what's going on in the heart. We come to him to confess our sin. And in this new era, 
We do not need to make sacrifices. Why? Because he made the once and for all sacrifice for us. Please don't ask me to explain what is going on at communion. It is a mystery that is quite beyond me. But I do know this, and this is very, very important. We are not re-sacrificing Christ here. We are receiving the benefits of his once and for all time sacrifice, as the book of Hebrews and the Book of Common Prayer makes so absolutely clear. And please, in our devotions, we must do nothing that takes away from the absolute completion of that once and for all event. You are forgiven. You are going to heaven. Not because of anything you did, not because of anything I do, but because Jesus 2,000 years ago, died on the cross for you. And all you need to do is to confess and believe it and trust him that he is true to his word. Uh, and we come to Jesus as well to offer ourselves and to recognize that our life is gift, that we do not belong to ourselves but to God, that we are first slaves of Christ. Archbishop Bill Burnett, the former uh, Archbishop of uh, South Africa, writes of a significant moment in his ministry when he went into his chapel. One of the privileges of being an archbishop is that you have your own chapel. And having read the passage in Romans 12 about offering your bodies to God, he went through each part of his body, beginning with the toes on his feet and ending with the hair on his head. And he offered them to God, dedicating them to God. I'm not quite sure how my hair can be used in the service of God, but I'll leave that up to him. And we come to Jesus to hear his word. He speaks through his word, through his people, sometimes very directly. And we come to Jesus for blessing. We need to remember that blessing that Simeon pronounced on Mary and Joseph. God's blessing is not that things will go well for us here on earth. It is much richer than that. Things certainly did not go well for Mary she watched her own son being crucified. And we hear such dreadful stories of tragedy. And please don't tell me that those who suffered were never blessed by God. No, the blessing of God is that tragedy may well come, that we will fall, but that Jesus is the key to it all, that he will reveal our innermost hearts, and if we're prepared to fall, to allow his word to penetrate into our souls, then we will rise. And we come to Jesus to pray. We pray to him because he's praying for us. I know that some traditions pray to the saints, but the Anglican Church has always made it clear that we pray with the saints departed, but always to Jesus and to be honest, I do wonder why when people pray, we don't go directly to the top man. 
He knows you and he loves you and he is your temple. And what do we pray for? Our daily bread, yes, the things that we long for or worry about, but also like Anna, we pray for the redemption of Israel, of the people of God, and we pray that God's kingdom will finally be revealed in all its fullness on earth. And we come to Jesus to praise. This is the one I find difficult. In some areas, I am dreadfully skeptic and a bit of a pessimist. When something good happens, I think it would have happened anyway, or yes, but something bad's going to happen tomorrow. There is an answer to skepticism and, uh, 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 and pessimism, and that is praise. God, thank you for this gift you've given me today. Thank you for that little answer to prayer. I had an upset stomach um, uh, two days ago when I was back in the UK, and I thought, I've got to go on the plane. I thought, how am I going to do this? And I just prayed. I said, God, help me. Get me through this. And he did. <laughs> thank you for that answer. And yes, I know I may well get sick tomorrow, and I, but I know you will be there to get me through. Thank you for being there. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you you rose from the dead. And thank you that in the very end, I'm on the winning side. We need to get the centre right. Sometimes, by the grace of God, they got the temple right, but most of the time it went pretty badly wrong. We need to get our centre right. We need to come to Jesus and by the grace of God offer ourselves and present ourselves afresh in his service. Receive his forgiveness. Hear his word. Receive his blessing. Seek him in prayer and respond in praise. Which is basically, if you think about it, what we try to do each morning or evening when we try to put aside time for God and what we do every time we come and we meet together.